We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. I'm going to take you in a little time machine uh, and we're going to see if we can guess the year. Um, I knew that today it would be important to do something that was really age appropriate and, uh, and wouldn't leave half the congregation behind because it would be really important to be up to date. So I'm just going to take you back to um, a few years ago. I want to, to see if you can name the song, the artist and the year. It's Mr. Fergal Sharkey. Oh, 1985. I hear a lot of stories, I suppose they could be true, all about love and what it can do for you. I know that real love has quite a price, and a good heart these days is hard to find. True love, the lasting kind. Now, I won't ask you to guess how old I was in 1985, but, and uh, at the time I heard this song, I wasn't following God the way I am now. And, uh, and I think, and I think, Actually, what it showed up for me was, as I like, listened, you, you ever listen to songs after you've liked them and think about the lyrics and think, well, that's what I do. I listen sometimes to songs that I've liked when I was younger and I listen to the lyric and I think there was something in it that was almost prophetic but was looking for something in the wrong place. This chap talks about the hardest thing of striking out is the risk of getting hurt, is one of the things he says. And, and you know, the thing is that in the heart of each of us is a huge desire to be loved. And when I was 15, I think the place I wanted that to come from was another person. More than anything else is what I wanted. And around 30 years ago, almost exactly 30 years ago, I did meet another person who became my wife. But just before I met her, God in his miraculous provision allowed me to meet him. And that freed up a whole different level for my relationship with her. Because I knew that God loved me. And I could be secure in that and not look for in that other relationship, the things that I could only find in him. Because there are some things that we can only find in him. So I think, you know, one of, it's a funny song. A good heart is hard to find. The songwriter is looking for something, but he's looking for it in, in the wrong place. But what, what does he mean when he's talking about the heart? Well, so the heart is... It's, a, it's an organ that if you can see your heart, there's something wrong, okay? Right? Your heart is inside, okay? And it belongs inside, and that's the, that's the place it needs to stay, mostly. But it, it's, what, it's, it's, a, it's something that has to do something in order for us to live. It's invisible, but it's vital. It's, it's a muscle about that size, and I was a bit shocked by this. It weighs 310 grams. Now, I don't know whether that helps you. That's like a third of a bag of sugar. That's not a lot. And it, that little thing that's inside of you, well, it's about that size. It beats 100,000 times every day, give or take a bit. And in that, in that day, 
it moves 2,000 gallons, 10,000 or 9,000 litres of blood around your body. But that isn't the good heart that Fergal Shark is talking about. When the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about, he, he t- the scripture talks about our heart as being the centre of our lives. People wrote about this stuff before they understood physiology. And when they developed physiology, they saw this thing in the middle of our bodies and they said, well, that has to be our heart. But our heart is, is like the very centre of our lives. It's, it's the motivation behind our activities and emotions. Um, it's really a word that's, that's about my, our very self. Something about our very being, the thing that makes, uh, that makes uh, Neil Neil. You know? uh, it, it's my heart is, is who I am. There's something that, that is ultimately true about our heart that we can't lie about. It's what, when you cut us open metaphorically, not literally, but maybe also, it's what we see. And it's mentioned 725 times in the Bible. Jesus said to the crowd, he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing coming out from a person can defile them. Sorry, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he went on to say, uh, he said, don't you see that nothing that enters from the outside can defile you? It doesn't go into your heart, but into your stomach and then out of the body. So he's talking there about people getting upset about what food his disciples were eating and things like that. But it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's absolutely right, it's absolutely key that we get our heart right if we're going to be able to walk with God. But the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. There is something that's not right about our hearts. There's something that we need God to help us with. Jeremiah talks about the heart being deceitful above all things, which is a bit of a dead loss, really. But Jeremiah is talking about the natural state of our heart, that actually we can get caught up in uh, a way of being that is, that is uh, not in tune with how we are meant to be. What we need is divine heart surgery. We need God to reach in and to change us. Solomon writes in um, the Proverbs several things about the heart, and I just want to look at a few of them. We've already sung uh, about, about one, one of these, really, this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your path. You know, if, if we want to know what God's will is for a situation... Our mind needs to be subject to this thing that God's put inside us, our heart. In Proverbs 4.23 says, The heart, um, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Here's the thing. If we have to guard our heart, it suggests that something can get into it from outside, doesn't it? Jeremiah talking about the heart being deceitful. That's something which we need God's help to, to deal with. God needs to, to be able to have access to our hearts to keep us 
to keep us straightly aligned. And finally, Proverbs 27, there are many more that you can look at. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. You know, how you live shows what, what matters to you. You know, you can ask someone what makes them tick and what's important, but looking in their diary is probably the, the accurate picture. What we actually spend our time doing is what matters to us. And we can say lots of things, but actually where we invest our time, where we invest our energies, where, where we spend the life that God has given us, that's what reflects our heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. When asked about what the most important command was, of course, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. I love the fact that Jesus has asked for the most important commandment and he gave two. It just kind of shows that he wasn't going to be sort of put into a corner. So someone's asking him, so what is the most important commandment? And he says, it's these two things. The second, he says, is like it. He uses the word there that means it's the same. So how is the second the same as the first? Well, Jesus says over and over again that the way we love one another is how we love him. We were just hearing in that Soul Survivor video, weren't we, about the significance of the love that we have for one another. And God says the way you love one another, that is how you love me. So there was a danger if he just gave the first command that people would get caught up in, the, in just what they saw as religious activity. And if he only gave the second, then we could just be involved in doing practical things. But what God wants us to understand is that these are two sides of the same thing. As we give him our heart, so we give our heart to one another. And so we give our heart to him again and again as we lay down our lives for one another as a parent picks up a child who's driving them mad, but shows patience to them and shows discipline, as a child looks after an elderly parent, as you pick up your neighbour, as you, as you serve them in some way. So that is us loving God. It's impossible to love him, of course, without loving one another. And then Paul picks up on this in Colossians when he's talking about how this whole thing of love for him, love for God, might affect our daily lives. At this time of year, Rich has already mentioned, there are certain members above in our congregation that are, are feeling like you know, six weeks is really not enough holiday to have, uh, and that really we ought to have more uh, as we go back to work. Uh, go back to work, we say. Uh, John doesn't quite agree with that, I don't think. I, he may need to issue a correction later. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, what we do when we're at work is so important. What we do when we're in our daily lives. In Colossians 3.23, Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, for we know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. And I'd encourage you, whether you're going back to school as a student, 
whether you're, you've been at work all summer because other people have taken all the holiday and you've not been able to get any annual leave at all, uh, whether you're a, a teacher or what you're doing. God doesn't want us to be half-hearted because what we're doing, whether we're putting the chairs out on a Sunday, whether we are, whether we are feeding someone, whether we are uh, teaching someone uh, Newton's laws, whatever it is that you find yourself doing during the week, work at it with all your heart because you're not doing it for them. And I know I've said this before, but you know, my employer might be Bancroft School and that's where I go to work and I have done for quite a few years now. But I, the, the financial side is down to God. He's the one who pays me. He's the one who provides for me. He's the one who sustains me. And it's him that I'm serving. And sometimes I might get into situations where, uh, well, I'm not, I don't always feel appreciated. Can you believe that? I don't always feel appreciated. And, and I can get a little bit, woe is me. My family call it... The, uh, the woe is me moment, the w- W-I-M, W-I-M, they say to me when I, when I start moaning about it. W-I-M, that's it, yeah. woe is me. But you know what, if we're only doing it to be, for people to be grateful to us, we've missed the point. We, <laughs> we really have. Some of the time, they're really not going to thank us for what we do, because we're not doing what they wanted. We're doing what he wanted. And, and we do what he wants, because it's him that we're serving. Maybe God's put you in a position particularly for a situation, and you haven't even got to it yet, but it's going to be there, and you're going to suddenly see, that's it, that's why I see God's put me here. The key things, not the job or career, but the goal you pursue. Sometimes I, I, um, sometimes I think, oh, you know, well, back in 1985, you know, I might have had a plan for my life. Well, I probably did. And, um, and I might have thought about things I might like to do. And maybe now I'm where I am, maybe I haven't done all of those things. But you know what? What God's given me is much more wonderful than I could ever have imagined. At the heart of God's story with his people has been the continuous rebellion and an issue of divided loyalty, of being, of us saying we're going to give him our heart and then us doing something else, retaining something for him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. If we have an undivided heart, then, then actually what it means is we will be faithful, but in the right sense. Now, faithfulness is not always doing the same thing. Right? It's actually being responsive to what God is saying in a situation. Let me, let me take another example. Reading two Chronicles, as you do, and was reading the story of Josiah. Now, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, this Josiah is the one in the Bible, just in case you're getting confused. Okay? Not our Josiah. Sorry about that. But he was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. This king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, not turning to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Jerusalem 
Judah and Jerusalem, of the high places, the Asherah poles and the idols. Now, just to explain, Asherah poles and idols were the remnants of, well, actually practically used, places of worship of gods other than God. The people of God had places they went to to worship other gods. And the kings thought this was fine. In fact, they practiced it themselves. But Josiah came along and said, you know what, I don't think we should have these things anymore. It's time for us to get rid of them. So he broke these places to pieces and he scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, and Shaphan, son of Azaliah and Mazaliah, I should have practiced these, Mazaliah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple. So he gets rid of the high places and then he begins to repair the temple. So they went to uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of the Lord, and they entrusted it to him and the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple, and the workers laboured faithfully. And while they were doing all of this, So they're they're working away, they're destroying the things which don't fit in with God. They're building his temple again. They come across this book. Now the book is the book of the law. For them, it was the way that you connected with God. It It was the guidance of life, okay? And they come across this book, and because they realise it's an important book. They take it to the king. You can, it kind of, the way it's described, you can kind of imagine them moving the rubble and they come and find this kind of ancient tome. And they, they bring it to the king and they say, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robe and he gave these orders. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what's written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that's poured out on us because of those who have gone before us and have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that's written in the book. And they went and they spoke to the prophet. Now the prophet that they speak to uh, is Holder, who's actually a woman. Uh, and she's, she's, she speaks to him and he says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man, she sent, who's, tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and all its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king. For they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before your God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, Because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. When we we come across the way things should be and we're confronted with the poverty of where we are, God's designed us that there is something in the way we come to him with our heart that allows us to reconnect there is something about the way he turns what is his, his anger is turned aside because of our repentance. And, uh, and the king goes on and he, and he says, so, 
I'm, I'm skip reading a bit. So he went up to the temple of the Lord of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to, sh- to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. He had, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. For as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. There is a, there is a picture there of a king realising that the land he's living in is not in line with how God wants it to be. And I felt as I was reading it that that was a bit of a picture of our own heart. So in our own heart, we can have high places, we can have things, places, regions, where we still sacrifice to things that are not of God. Alternative objects of worship. Let me give you some examples. It might be, it might be things that we make rules about. It might be the way we eat. We might get strength from eating. Some people get strength from not eating. It might be, it might be exercise. I'm not saying that exercise is bad. Honest. But it might be that you become caught up in some kind of, of lifestyle thing that is different to how God wants you to be. It might be wrong relationships. These high places... Are, are things that God wants to uh, deal with. So in the, in the, in the story, uh, these are the, th- the three things, sorry. Get rid of the high places, restore the place of his presence, and repent and walk in the way he directs. So let me just practicalise that as I just started on the first point. Um, you know, today, the temple of the Holy Spirit is not some building somewhere, but it's, it's, it's our body, okay? God's designed us to be made right by him, um, Jesus allows us to be reconnected. He allows us by his sacrifice for the Holy Spirit to live in us. Ezekiel wrote of a time when God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. God says he will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is not just about doing right things. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. What do you think he sees when he looks at your heart. Just imagine for a moment his eyes looking at your heart. In a conversation we can say many things, but when our eyes connect, there is a different level of connection. I think Shakespeare said the eyes are the window to the soul. But there is something about when our eyes connect that we connect differently with somebody. What do you think God sees when he, his eyes connect with you? Don't be afraid to open yourself to his eyes. He has the ultimate good heart. A good heart might be hard to find, but he has the perfect good heart. In the Song of Songs, we read this. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. This prophetic poem is written about the relationship of God with his church, of Jesus with his church. When he, when he glances at you, when he glances at us, he's arrested. He's arrested by the beauty of his church. I don't want to... 
I realise that the Song of Solomon is, is a kind of strange book. It's an extended love poem written between a lover and their bride, including all aspects of a loving relationship. But don't let that put you off from appreciating. While we talk about and struggle with our own hearts and we want to love him more, he has already set his heart on us. And he is delighted in you. We talk about his beauty, and it's amazing, but he delights in your beauty. He delights in the activity of this church. He delights in the way that you serve faithfully. He delights in the way that you give yourself again and again. He delights in that fragrance of being a living sacrifice. As you love one another, so he delights in you. And I just want to commend that to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.